Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. One of the things that energizes our teams the most is being able to hear stories of lives that are impacted by this ministry. We would love for you to share your story with us by emailing it to stories at newcommunity.co or maybe your next step to getting connected to what God is doing in this ministry is partnering with us financially. You can do that online at www.newcommunity.co or through the PushPay app and find the giving option that works best for you. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, NCC. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? It's good to see each and every one of you here. Um, I'm so glad that you're joining us. And if you're our guest, if you're new to NCC or you're watching online for the first time, my name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're a church that's passionate about making people and places new. And just what we talked about here in the middle of the service with students going to camp and their life being changed, that's part of that vision of people being made new. And just that vision of launching the Mom's Day Out New Adventures this fall, it's part of that of seeing our community change and our church really making an impact. And so if you're our guest here today, we hope that you see that vision coming out in the life of our church and that you get to experience that. And we're on our second week of this series called To Whom It May Concern. And we're spending the next few weeks in some of the books of the Bible that are known as epistles. They're letters. Okay, so these are letters that were written to the early church. And when you think of a letter that's been written, you think of the intentionality. It took some time, right, to get out some paper, some pen, and really think through what was going to be written. And so these are letters to the early church. And as we look at them, these are amazing letters that speak to um, marriage relationships. They talk about personal finances. They talk about our relationship with God and how we grow in that relationship with God. They talk about how the church should operate, what it looks like when a group of believers comes together and what that needs to look like, the community of faith. And so as we look at this, we're going to be looking at what God is speaking about to whom it may concern and what that means for us even thousands of years later um, as it pertains to these epistles that were written in the New Testament. About seven years ago, I was a young adult pastor at a different church here in the Dallas area. And as part of that, we would do adventure trips with the young adults. So we um, hiked the Grand Canyon. We climbed Pikes Peak. And this is us. We're doing the Appalachian Trail, okay? Now, don't worry. We didn't do the whole Appalachian Trail. That takes months, okay? This was like a three- or four-day hike on the Appalachian Trail. And um, we drove out there with a group of, I think there were about 20 of us. You can see a few of us in this picture here. I'm the guy with the big afro, so it's easy to spot me right there, okay? And on this three- or four-day trip, we're packing everything that we need in there. So there were no stops along the way as far as cities or resupplies or any of that. Like, we're just out in the middle of the woods um, on these mountaintops for a number of days. And it was pretty difficult. We had to do a lot of training to get there. And I remember one of these days, we wake up. We've got these heavy packs, like it's still dark outside. We break down the tents, the sleeping bags, get all of our food. We get all of that stuff. And we set out early in the morning before the sun is even up. And one of the first things coming out of the camp is we walk through this creek. So our feet are sopping wet. There's no way around it, like we can't get around it. So our pants are wet, our feet are wet, and we come to the base of this just steep incline of a mountain. And with these heavy packs still in the dark, we're having to trek up this mountain and start to climb up this. And it's raining outside like it's drizzling a little bit. The ground is wet. There's not a pathway. This is like a different part of the trail. But there's just this tiny piece of um, kind of walkway in the middle of this grass. And we're just going straight uphill. And what you can imagine begins to happen. I just fall to the ground, right? Like my feet slip out from under me. 
And the further up we go, like we're sliding, I'm afraid I'm going to slide back and just take out the group behind me um, with that heavy pack that I'm just going to kind of bowl, you know, over everyone that's behind me there. And, and so I'm digging and I'm trying to get up there. And then I remember, oh yeah, I have these kind of special shoes on. So for every step up that mountain, I'm like digging in my feet and kind of turning and making sure that I'm going through the mud and hitting solid ground. And once I have that footing, then I put the other foot down with this heavy pack on. I'm trying to help other people until step by step, just gaining that footing, like that firm ground, I get to the top and we see this beautiful sunrise. It was all worth it. And when I think about that experience of just sliding, of slipping that natural gravitational pull down towards the bottom of the mountain. I think about what Paul is talking about in one of these letters that he wrote. This writer in the New Testament, as he's talking to the church, he gives this strong challenge, if you will, like kind of this strong word of stand firm. Because the church was in this slant where they were sliding back to what they knew. They were sliding back to what was easy. And Paul writes this kind of passionate letter pleading with them. Hey, don't go back. Don't go back to what you've known or to other things. Maybe what's too easy in your life. Stand firm in what Christ has called you to. And I want us to look at this passage this, passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to start right at verse 1 there. And if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We got a Bible for you, and you can take that out. It's in the seat in front of you, maybe one or two seats over, and it's on page 567 in that Bible in the seat in front of you. So I want to encourage you, take that out, Galatians 5.1. And once you have that, you can hold that for just a quick second. Paul, the writer of this letter, who's writing to the church there in Galatia, what he would do is, man, he had a powerful conversion experience. And so he set out and he was going from city to city and building the church. And so he would gather a group of believers. These were not Christians. These were not religious people. They would come together, have a faith in Christ, have an experience of who God was. They would get together. And once the church was kind of formed, a group of believers are together, Paul would leave them and he would go to the next city and he would do that again. And after Paul had done that, there was a group of people following him called the Judaizers who were teaching something that Paul was not teaching. And when Paul hears about this, this letter is a response to that. And this is what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, writing to the church. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will no longer be of advantage to you. And I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For, the, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. But only faith working through love. So what is it that Paul, what's going on in the church here? What's Paul talking about? Why does he write this letter? Well, it's like I said, you have this group of people that Paul has shared the gospel with. And he's come into this city and he starts to tell them, hey, your lives are messed up. You're broken. You're sinners. Like we all know that, how messed up our lives is. And, and Paul is speaking to this group of people and he says, you know what? Even though there's nothing you can do about that, God has already done something. And he sent his son, Jesus, in the midst of your broken life, he loved you enough and he cared for you enough. God gave himself to the world. He sacrificed his life. He died on the cross. He rose again so that you could be restored back into a right relationship with God. 
And the people in that town, they're like, wow, this is amazing. Yes, I want that for my life. Like, I, I accept that. that. That sounds great. I don't have to do anything except believe. You don't have to do anything except believe. And so they receive that gospel message. It's good news to them. And then Paul, as the church is growing, he establishes kind of the leadership there. He moves on. And about three or four months later, these Judaizers come. And these weren't religious people. They didn't know the Old Testament. They didn't know who God was or all these laws. All this they knew is that God had given himself through the person of Jesus, that God had wrapped himself in flesh, and he had come. And they start to say, well, what did Paul teach you? Paul taught us we were saved by faith, that it's the grace of God. And they said, yeah, that's right. Jesus came. He gave his life for you, and that's so exciting. And it's Jesus, but you're missing something. I don't know if you've ever been in a disagreement or an argument, maybe with your kids, and it seems like you're on the same page, and then, but, right? And all of a sudden, that conversation shifts, and they said, yeah, you've got it right. It's Jesus. That's who it is, but you're missing something else. It's Jesus plus the law. See, it's Jesus, and there's all of these rules in the Old Testament. Jesus came, but if you really want to get this Christian thing down, okay, if you really want to be a part of the church, if you really want to get God's love, you want to be in good with God, it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus these laws. It's Jesus plus circumcision. Now, I don't know if you know what circumcision is, but kids, you can ask your parents on the way home, and it'll be a fun conversation after church, okay? Um, but, but it's this process, I won't go into too much detail, where you're cutting off a very sensitive part of your body, uh, an amount of that part of your body, you're severing that. It's very painful. And, and these people were coming and saying, yes, it's Jesus, but you have to do something else. It's Jesus plus something else. And Paul was looking at the church and he said, that's not what I taught you. That's not the gospel I gave you. And he's trying to get this truth across to them that Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. Whenever we take Christ and we try to add something else to him, whenever we look at him and we say his sacrifice is not enough, what he did, yes, it's good that he came. Yes, it's good that he gave his life, but something's missing there. And so we have to do this also to add to what Christ has done. Paul says you get nothing. He says Christ is of no advantage to you. Now I'm reading this passage and I'm just thinking through being in the church in Galatia. I mean, just think through that. We're sitting there, right? You've got two options. You've got Paul who's preaching this, right? You've got two ways you can believe. Paul who says, yeah, we're broken people. We're messed up. We have sin in our life. And Jesus has come and he's given himself for us. He loves us. He sacrificed his life so that we could have a relationship with God. You just have to believe. It's God's grace over your life. So you can believe that or option two, you can believe Jesus came, and then you need to take a sharp metal object and put it in a sensitive area. You guys, there's no local anesthetics at this point, okay? No Tylenol with codeine, no Vicodin, none of that, right? It's going to be really painful. So you can believe in Jesus, but you got to do this also. you got to cut yourself in a very painful way, right, to add to what Christ has done. And in my mind, I think it's a no-brainer, Right? Guys, you should be saying definitely right at that point, okay? It's a no-brainer, you guys, right? You, you don't want to do that. And so I'm thinking, why is the church falling into this? Why are they even going to listen to that? Why are they going to believe? Or, or what about this? Jesus came. The Son of God wrapped himself up in flesh, came and lived among us. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. He shed his blood. He sacrificed himself for us. 
but it wasn't enough, so you've got to sacrifice an animal. And you've got to take an animal and spill its blood and then burn it. And I don't know if you've ever smelled burning animal. I'm not talking about a Texas barbecue, okay? That's delicious. I'm talking about flesh burning, skin burning, fur burning, hooves, all of those things burning. It, it stinks. And he's saying, yeah, the, the sacrifice of the Son of God wasn't enough. You've got to do this also. There, there's something missing and there's all of these rules, there's all of these laws, there's all of these other things that you have to add on top of it. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, you're choosing the second option? You're walking away from the gospel, you're walking away from grace. And I'm sitting there thinking, why are they even considering this? When Paul says, no, it's just accepting that, it's the grace of God in our lives, it's accepting that. Why would they even think that they could add something else? Paul's saying Jesus plus anything equals nothing whenever you're adding something else on top of that. And I think they struggled with it for the same reason that we struggle with it. Because we look at this amazing God who loves us unconditionally and we can't accept that kind of love. We know we're unworthy of it. And so what do we do? We try to buy it. We try to buy it, we try to earn it, you guys. We try to add something to what Christ has done and thinking that will make up for what went wrong. That'll make up for the sacrifice. And Paul's saying, that's not the gospel. You start adding anything to Christ, all of a sudden you've walked away from the gospel. And Paul's saying this, and I know this is hard to hear, church, but that you and I, whenever we develop that mindset that says, if I just pray more today than I did yesterday, God loves me more. I can read my Bible today a little bit more than I did yesterday, and somehow I'm more worthy of his love. Now he'll accept me. And Paul said, you start thinking like that, you've walked away from the gospel. Christ is of no advantage to you. You've walked away from faith. You've severed yourself from Christ. That's what he's trying to convey. You can't buy God's love. You can't do enough to, as if we could actually think that somehow our good deeds could make up for the Son of God being sacrificed and being crucified, that we could somehow do something to buy God, to buy his favor. Paul's saying, that's not the gospel. That's not what I came preaching to you. And if you accept this Jesus plus anything, it's going to equal nothing. You're going to have nothing in your life. Your faith is useless because that's not what Christ came to do. As I was reading through this, I thought about one of my favorite movies, um, it's with an actor named Will Ferrell called Stranger Than Fiction. Has anyone seen it? Okay, a few of you. It's not a typical Will Ferrell movie, okay, with the kind of out, outrageous comedy. It's a little bit more serious. And in this movie, he's an IRS auditor. Okay, so he goes and he audits people's taxes. And he's assigned to audit this woman who owns a bakery. He's got to go through all of her, her taxes and make sure she paid the right amount. And immediately when he walks in, he's infatuated with this woman, okay? He falls in love. He, he looks at her and he, he wants to get to know her. She seems like a very um, kind of free-going free person and, and he wants to get to know her more. But she does not like him because he's an IRS auditor and he's auditing her, right? So there's this tension there. And I'm just gonna say this because I know you all are wondering, I just love chick flick movies, okay? 
Guys, here's my man card. I know that doesn't make me manly, okay? But I get caught up in the emotions, in the romance, right? I want them to get together. I want the guy and girl, you know, to fall in love and for everything to work out. I want that to happen. And, and so I'm watching this, and, and I'm hoping that it all works out. And, and so in one of the scenes, he's upstairs, and he's looking through all the receipts and doing all of the numbers. And he comes down at the end of this hard, difficult day of looking through all of this data, and she's pulling cookies out of the oven. And she makes him sit down and they start to have this conversation. And I'm thinking, yes, this is the moment, you guys. Like, this is it. They're going to fall in love. It's going to work out. They start sharing about their life. They're eating cookies together, right? And, and he gets up at the end and he thanks her. And, and she walks around behind the counter and she gets the rest of the cookies and she boxes them up. And she says, here, I want you to take these with you. And he says, oh, I can't, I can't do that. And she's like, no, it's a gift. I, I want you to have these. And he said, I'm an IRS auditor. It could look like you're bribing me, and it could look kind of bad. I can't take them. And she's like, no, it's fine. It's a gift. And he's like, no, I can't. And then he reaches into his coat, and he pulls out his wallet, and he says, I'll pay you for them. And in that moment, I just curl up in the fetal position. All the emotions are gone from the room. This is it. He's ruined the moment, you guys. I don't know if you've ever done that, right? But all of the love is just sapped from the room. And then he realizes it. And he looks at her, and he says, you did this on purpose. You wanted to give me a gift, didn't you? And she said, yeah. And he's like, I blew it, didn't I? She said, yeah. And he walks out in the rain all by himself, and he does not get the girl in that scene, you guys. He messed it up. And I think that's what we do with God so many times. We don't know how to receive his gift, and we're trying to buy it, you guys. We're trying to buy it with our good deeds, we're trying to buy it by giving money and somehow thinking that that'll help out, that that'll make everything right between us and God. We're trying to do it even by our religious acts sometimes. And we think, well, God, that'll do it. You'll love me more. And Paul's saying, that's not the gospel, church. And anytime you fall into that mindset, anytime you start to believe that, that Christ was not enough, that you have to add something else, that it's Christ plus something else, whenever you do that, you get nothing. And that's what he's trying to help them to understand. It's not the law. You can try to do that. And all you've got is the law. And you weren't able to follow them. No one's been able to follow that for thousands of years. It's just Jesus. And he said, go ahead. Take a sharp knife and cut off a piece of yourself. And when you do that, you've severed yourself from Christ. He's of no worth to you now. Why? Because you can't buy God's gift. You can't do enough, church. You and I, we can't do enough. And we fall into this mindset. We fail to stand firm. We fail to remember what the gospel is. It's that we have nothing that Christ brings everything to the equation. And we can't stand that mindset. And so we try to do that. We try to set up religious rules and laws. I mean, you've been in those kind of churches, right? Like I think back to churches I grew up in. Sarah shared that whenever we first met, she said, you know what? Whenever I was in middle school, I didn't go to church because I didn't have a dress to wear. And I knew that the people would look at me weird if I went to church and I didn't have a dress. We had a young student that came and lived with us. And he said, I went to a different church and they told me not to come back because I didn't have a tie and a pair of slacks to wear. We're trying to add something else, thinking, God, if we look this way, as if Christ was waiting for our wardrobe to get to a certain point in order to accept us. Church, we, we have this mindset that I can somehow do enough good to make up for the Son of God giving his life. And you and I can't. We just can't, church. 
And Paul's looking at the church and he's pleading with them, please understand this, that if you think you can take the gospel and add something else to it, you have nothing. Your faith in Christ is worthless because Jesus came and that's all you need. That's everything that is there. And he ends this passage by saying this. He ends with this thought, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. Our faith working itself out through love. And Paul's reminded them, you want to know what the heart of the gospel is? It's that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, church. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You and I have this backward mindset. We're trying to add stuff, and God looks at us, and he says, you're broken. You're messed up. You have nothing good to offer. I'm God. What are you going to offer me? A prayer? A church? Is that what you're going to do? No. But when we come with nothing, when we come with our brokenness, church, when we come sinful, Paul said this in another part. He said, you and I, we were enemies of God. We hated God. We were enemies of the cross, and yet God pursued us in that moment. Why? When we realized that we were sinners and that Christ loved us in that condition, would we ever think we need to do something to earn that love? That's not the way it works. See, it's when we come with nothing, our brokenness, and we say, Jesus, I have nothing to give you that God says, I can do something with that. I can do something with that, church. I can take your messed up life and I can give you everything. If you set aside pride, if you humble yourself, I can take your brokenness and I can do something with that. That's what Paul's trying to get them to remember. See church, for so many years, I lived in fear of this book. And I really thought this, if I don't read a verse, if I don't read a chapter, if I die today, I may be separated from God. And I thought I have to do enough good stuff. I got to keep on working hard. I got to try to do better than I did yesterday so that God will still love me. And that's not the way it works. But church faith expressing itself through love. Now when I pick up, pick up this book, it's different. And I'm not trying to earn God's favor. But I realize, wait, there's a God who loves me? There's a God who's given himself for me. There's a God who's written letters to me and he wants to talk to me and he's taken time to write down some things so that I can know more about who he is. Man, I want to read this book. I'm not doing it because it's required. I'm not doing it because I may somehow be separated from God if I miss it today. I'm doing it because I want to know more about him. Church, I'm not praying anymore. Because I thought there's certain words I have to say and there's certain things I have to do or somehow I may miss out on heaven and God may be angry with me. I pray now because I want to get to know him. It's faith expressing itself through love that there's a God who pursued me. There's a God who's given himself for me. Prayer is not a task anymore. I just want to be in his presence. I want to get to know more about him. Why? Because he loves me. And even though I have nothing to add to him, he's given me everything, church. He's given me everything. And can I, can I just close with saying this? I know this is a hard message. 
See, those of us that have been in church a long time, we get uncomfortable with this. And I've actually had people come up after messages like this and say, we need to preach about sin more. We need to tell people how broken they are. You guys, when I was a sinner, I knew how screwed up my life was. Knew how broken my life was. I needed to know a God who loved me. And can I tell you this? When I start to realize this kind of love, when I realize this, I run away from sin. I look at temptation differently. Why? Because I don't want my life to be given to those things. I want it to be given to the God who loves me. I want it to be given everything that I have, anything that I could possibly, I want it to be his. Why? Not because I'm afraid of him. It's because I love him. I want to be close to him. I want to be in his presence. And this message is not just, well, that's a good message for people that are new to faith or yeah, people that are just starting out or asking questions about God, they need to hear that. No, this is a message for the church. This is for those of us that have been doing this for five, 10, 15, 20 years, because after that amount of time, I think, God, yeah, thank you for saving me, but I've got this now. Thank you for saving me, God, but, but I'm working this out on my own now, God. I, I can handle it at this point. I got prayer down, I got Bible reading. I can do this on my own and every day God's reminding me, it's not enough. You can't do it. You can't save yourself, Aaron. Every day it's coming to me saying, God, I have nothing, but would you give me your everything? That's the question, church. Are you willing to stop trying to buy God's love? To stop falling back into this mindset that we could somehow earn it and be worthy of it? And just say, God, I realize I'm broken and I don't have a lot to offer, God. But I just lay it all down for everything that you are, God, everything that you have for me because that's the message of the gospel. That's the beauty of what Christ does. So he takes our brokenness and he gives us himself.